Hello and welcome to Signs for the People. I'm Rochelle Saunders. It is again that time of year when we grab a couple of prolific science readers to look back through the stacks of books they read this past year and give us their thoughts. Here are the books they loved, the books you might consider picking up for yourself, or for that science reader you know in your life. And as in previous years, we have a blog post live on our website right now where you can find the complete list of books you'll hear about on today's show, including links where you can buy them online. If you're thinking of buying one of these books or any book you've heard about on a past episode, check out the book list for this episode or the bookshelf section on our website, where we keep all of them in one big collection for your perusal. And if you use our links to buy these books on Amazon, we get a little kickback, usually around 50 cents, for sending you over, so you can also use your Christmas shopping to support the show free of charge. All of these links and lists will be up on our website, scienceforthepeople.ca, and we'll link to that book list in the show notes for this episode to make sure that it's easy to find. With me is Joanne Manister, a faculty lecturer in biology at the University of Illinois School of Integrative Biology and a science educator and communicator who is also known as Science Goddess on Twitter. Joanne, lovely to have you here again. I am so glad to be back. And returning also is John Dupuis, who is our official unofficial librarian in residence. John is a scholarly publishing librarian and engineering liaison at the Stacey Science and Engineering Library at York University in Toronto, and still blogs sporadically at Confessions of a Science Librarian. John, always great to have you back, too. Fantastic to be back. Since 2014. Oh, my. Really? Wow. Yes. <clears throat> It doesn't, we've been it, doing this since 2014. It feels both like we've been doing this episode a long time, but also it doesn't feel like that long, if I'm honest. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a little old. Time flies when you're having fun. True story. That's right. when, you're, when you're reading good science books. That's true, too. So just a, a quick level set like we always do. Can you uh, just tell each of you, let us know about how many science books you read in the, read in the past year? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. So I, I luckily kept track this year and I realized I've read 89 books total. 45 or so are science, but some of the science are sort of other nonfiction and hopefully we'll get to talk about that a little bit. So about half the books I read this year were science books. Yeah, it's about the same for me. Well, I, I didn't quite hit 80 something yet this year, but, um, Goodreads tells me I, I have now a Goodreads tag that that'll have all the books that I keep and tr- keep that I'm keeping track for for the show. And Goodreads tells me it's 29 science books this year. Uh, John, I really love it that now you have a special Goodreads tag just for this episode. That really warms my heart. <laughs> yeah, it seemed and, like a good and idea I'm now at the inspired. Time. I'm inspired to do the same now because I keep Goodreads is the only way I can remember. Because if I get a book from the library or it's on audio, you know, how do I keep track? It's not like there's a stack I can just look at. So, so Goodreads is that stack. It is that stack. Um, Joanne, you raised this, and it was something we chatted a little bit about in email that I we all thought would be a good way to start um, the show, which is how do you even decide what counts as a science book anymore? Yeah, this is. Uh, this, I mean, John brought this up. First, so maybe I'll let him uh, start. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a really, uh, you know, I look back actually at what I read in 2014, 
And because I keep uh, I keep the I keep notes I keep the notes in my Google Docs, of course, uh, being a good nerd. And uh, at that point, we were kind of in the middle of the Canadian Harper, you know, science implosion. So there was kind of a political undercurrent in some of the books that I've read. But looking over the years, it just seems to me that that's just increased uh, kind of exponentially. And it's gotten to the point where I, it's hard really to tell what that interface is between science and society, right? And in a way, it almost seems to me like there's really only two things worth reading about in, in 2019, right? And it's kind of freedom and survival, right? Because we, sci- we have the climate crisis and we have the tech apocalypse, right? Led by mm-hmm. Elon Musk, the world's most famous Bond villain. And <laughs> I, I, again, so I'm just, I'm just finding myself, it's finding myself that the, that sure there's books that explain science, but there's also, but I also need to read books in a way that maybe I didn't feel before that kind of helped me understand how we got to where we are. And this isn't to say that the only thing that I read is kind of this crazy grim, dark, the world is coming to an end books. But certainly, you know, certainly that's the kind of thing that I've seen more and more kind of creeping into my consciousness. And I think a perfect example of this is uh, Rachel Maddow's new book, right? It's called Blowout, Corrupted Democracy, Rogue State Russia, and and the Richest, Most Destructive Industry on Earth. In other words, uh, the, the oil industry, right? And it's hard to imagine uh, an industry that's more impacting freedom and survival than the oil industry. Ah, I read Cokeland, um, which talks about oil and chemistry and everything they've been involved with, the Koch brothers. So even though that one I wouldn't call science, it had enough science in there, and, and it, it directly affects our, affects our lives. And, um, and, and a lot of the books I've read this year are more environmentally uh, based books because once you start messing with ecology, you have to explain ecology and then how it's being disrupted um, by by politics, by decisions, you know, uh, whether it's the Flint water crisis or uh, the misuse of public lands um, and giving it over to total cattle grazing and things like that. You know, I, we have to talk about the science of how this affects us. Uh, uh, humans and ecology and everything else, but it is very much tied into policy. And so, yeah, so I think, I think, uh, bookstore, uh, organizers and librarians probably have a hard time going, where do I put this book? <laughs> we certainly do. We certainly do. <laughs> and kind of from the other side of my reading coin, uh, although I haven't read them yet this year, there were actually two books published this year by Cambridge Analytica uh, whistleblowers. Once again, that that interface between technology, uh, democracy, freedom, you know, technology eating the universe. And so I thought uh, I thought that was kind of interesting as as well, that that, again, like two books by uh, Cambridge Analytica whistleblowers came out this year. Right. And I was thinking one of those books is on my to read list. Yeah, I'll probably read one of them as well. I don't think I don't think I could I don't think I could probably take reading both of them (laughs) (laughs) well i really want to uh i really want to remember the name of one i'll look it up and mention it later if it turns out to be appropriate 
in, in all the other things we're talking about. I also found that my reading skewed political, not so much in the climate science stuff. There, there was one that I recently read called Prosperity Without Gross, but Growth, Prosperity Without Growth, my goodness, um, by Tim Jackson, um, which I recently did an interview on, which was quite good. But pretty much most of my reading this year has very much been at the crossroads between science and politics, either in a modern way, um, or well, science and society or um, science and politics in in history, uh, which has been quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I would say that um, definitely some of the books on here, it's difficult, like one of the books that I'm currently reading is called it's a bit of an older book, it's called The Patch, The People, The Pipelines and Politics of the Oil Sands. And yeah, that's that, a great book. Yeah, I, I'm just picking it up now. And I'm about um, 15 or so percent of the way through it. And I, I'm quite it's quite a good book. But that again, is a book that is it, it, it doesn't kind of sound like your typical pop science book. Um, because it is definitely political, but there's so much in here that's relevant to science and relevant to, to engineering and relevant to just the world we live in now and the kind of hole we've dug for ourselves from the standpoint of climate science and what we're doing to our environment, that it feels inherently sciencey, even though it's not necessarily going to be shelved that way. Right. And I feel that way about many of the books I read this year. Yeah, and the really interesting thing about um, about that is a Chris Turner book, right? Yeah, he was the author. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting about that book was it humanized the so because in Canada, in particular, unfortunately, sometimes we tend to demonize uh, the Alberta oil sands industry and the people involved, and it really humanized the people involved, and and I think prompts us to think. Uh, in a deeper and more humane way about something that maybe we would uh, have a very flippant opinion about otherwise. And so that's a really, I thought I found out a book really engaging that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm I've added that to my list. Added to my (laughs) list. (laughs) And I find um, in particular books where you, where, where the author is trying to address such a contentious issue that you tend to see it, represented in real extremes. And uh, reading about the oil sands, it's been it was sort of on my list for a while to find a book that would talk about the oil sands in in a way that wasn't so polarizing, because it's so easy to find a book about or to find someone who's willing to talk about how the oil sand should be shut tomorrow. And also someone who says the oil sand should keep going, don't be crazy. But it's really difficult to find that person who can talk about the whole thing. Um, and think about all of the different angles because it, it's, it's complicated. And, um, it, I think those books are so valuable to get into the messy bits and pieces about how complicated something is. I mean, one of the books I read this year and really enjoyed was, um, and learned a lot from, um, was the book Midnight in Chernobyl by Adam Higginbotham. Um, yeah. and it was such a fantastic book, both from a history and science perspective on exactly what happened from an engineering perspective. Why did the thing explode? But a critical part of understanding what happened at Chernobyl is understanding the broader social, political, 
um, and just cultural context of that time, which was also a massive contributing factor to that disaster happening. And you can't pry them apart. It's all related and it's all important to understand. Yeah, I, I, I read, read, I read it. We both yeah. read it. <laughs> yeah, we, we all read, read it. it. <laughs> and being an engineering librarian, I think, you know, one of the things that I that I tend to emphasize when I'm doing classes or, you know, just kind of in the way I think about engineering is engineering failure. Right. And how you it's so hard to disentangle all the different factors in failure. And I think Chernobyl is a really wonderful that Midnight in Chernobyl book is a really wonderful book for helping helping us as humans kind of disentangle the what are the science parts, what are the political parts, what are the kind of human nature is unfortunate parts. Uh, the other book I did I read another book about Chernobyl this year. I, I guess we all watched the Chernobyl miniseries. <laughs> It's a graphic novel by uh, from France that was translated this year. Uh, the uh, the author and artist is Emmanuel Lepage, and it's uh, springtime in Chernobyl. And it's about uh, a bunch of people that visit Chernobyl years after it. The whole area is closed off, and kind of, and their experiences just visiting the area, reflecting on what happened, uh, talking to people that kind of still live around there. It was also a really moving book. Uh, we've had a real, uh, we've had a real bunch of uh, a great bunch of uh, graphic novels from France translated into English over the course of the last few years. Normally, I would, you know, read them in French, but but now actually, what's happening is I'm seeing them here translated, as opposed to like seeing them in my, when I'm visiting Montreal or whatever, and so I'm just ending up buying them in English. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the best book you read this year. If you had to look at your stack and put one on the top, which one would go on the top? Well, if I go by uh, the best science book I read this year, published this year, I would say Because Internet, Understanding the New Rules of Language by Gretchen McCullough. Oh, I'm so glad you tell me that book is good because it's on my list and I haven't read it yet. Yeah, it's, 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 you send us this list of questions, and I thought, I can't write this for every answer, but <laughs> I want to. <laughs> but it, it's so good. And she uh, she would occasionally end up on lists. Uh, as, as you know, all the big lists are coming out, and she ends up on the list, but they don't know where to put it. But linguistics is science. And uh, definitely the way she approached the, the topic was fantastic. And I also happened, I don't do this very often, um, but I also happened to get the audio and she read the book herself. And it was like, how is she describing this emoticon or the smashing of keys on the computer or, you know, how, so she did a great job narrating her own book. Uh, and, and, you know, just talking about um, how, how language has changed because we use our phones and we use the internet so much uh, punctuation, emoticons, uh, the abbreviations like LOL, et cetera. So I, I really enjoyed the book. Really enjoyed it. So as usual, there's there's kind of two for me: one graphic novel and uh, and one regular book. Uh, the regular book is The Bastard Brigade: The True Story of the Renegade Scientists and Spies Who Sabotaged the Nazi Atomic Bomb by Sam Keen. Uh, 
And I had kind of a Mary Roach-like revelation with this book. I mean, Sam Keen, this is the first book that I've uh, that I've read by him. And I'm like, where have you been all my life? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was so fantastic. He, he writes such uh, good, broad, ri- wide-ranging books. Wow. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, it kind of read like a a cheap spy thriller in a lot of ways, but it was so engaging, such a page turner, such a fascinating topic. I, I mean, every, you know, every year I'm always reading about kind of that interface between kind of uh, science history and military history and the political side of how that all interfaces in science versus the military. And this one was very much along those lines, right? How do you justify uh, you know, this kind of a program, uh, what's it, you know, to what lengths are you going to go to, to stop the Nazis from getting the, the atomic bomb? Uh, and the answer to that is pretty well anything. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was, I thought it was a fantastic book. So fun, so interesting, so engaging, you know, it's hard, you know, that you don't often get a book that treats a topic that is really so serious and, um, and so important right? Keeping the atomic bomb out of the hands of the bad guys. That's also so engaging and such a page turner. So it was really, really fantastic. And on the other side, of course, from the graphic novel side was uh, the book that I read this year that I that I thought was the best was The Adventures of Alexander von Humboldt by Andrea Wolfe and Lillian Melcher. Such a wonderful book. I love the original book, the big novel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. which Which I never read. Uh, I only got to this one and it's a, a, you know, great art, great story, you know, lots of amazing details and the way the art is integrated with uh, the story of von Humboldt's uh, life, uh, you know, and kind of the, you know, a, a very serious and a very, uh, a very detailed uh, explanation of kind of the impacts of his travels and the colonialist colonialist exploration and you know it's just a really really good book uh, it's quite it's a quite a large kind of coffee table sized book and mm-hmm. which really helped uh which really helped with uh with the art and and really made the art pop uh, again you know highly highly recommended i i bet you it's amazing because i really enjoyed uh, the invention of nature her book about humboldt and then they modified for this this illustrated book. Oh, I might have to check it out. So am, am I allowed to say my sort of second on the list? It wasn't written this year, but I, I finally, after all these years in my life, went to the Grand Canyon and I wanted a good book about the Grand Canyon. And I, I found a couple, The Promise of the Grand Canyon, which sort of talks about the beginning of the USGS and, and government funded science in the US, among other things. But I thought, no, that wasn't the book I was looking for. So I instead found one that was in every single gift shop, and it's called The Emerald Mile, the epic story of the fastest ride in history through the heart of the Grand Canyon. And um, so, of course, it talks about this wild, um, you know, river raft ride or boat ride through uh, the Grand Canyon. But the book is about half natural history, half engineering, building dams and things like that. Uh, so, you know, I really enjoyed that book. And it's really sort of going in the top five books of all time for me. So it, I, I forget what year it was written, but it's not that old, but it's not this year either. 
One of the standout books for me this year, um, and I definitely didn't read as many books as you both did, certainly not as many science books, uh, was All Over the Map, a, a cartographic odyssey written by Betsy Mason and Greg Miller. This is a, a big, beautiful coffee table book. And if you love maps as much as I do, and I'm sure you can hear in my voice how much I deeply love this book, um, <laughs> it is just a lovely, lovely thing to sit and flip through. And they've done such an excellent job curating a really interesting selection of maps and then also writing up um, these lovely little stories or discussions of each of these maps and what makes them interesting, whether it was the historic milieu of where they uh, evolved in, whether it's a specific approach the map maker took. Um, it's just such a lovely book. And it, it really is one of those ones that you just want to sit with um, on your lap. It's heavy and it's it's big and the paper on it is beautiful and the illustrations are huge and it's just such a glorious book. Sounds great. <laughs> what about a book that changed your mind about something this year? Uh, when I thought about this category, I, I think I changed the question a little bit in my mind. Uh, I have three books listed. They're all sort of medical related and I feel like Maybe I was already feeling this way about these topics, but suddenly had permission to really feel them that, that way, to believe what I was thinking seemed right. And the first one is The Bottle of Lies, the inside story of the generic drug boom. Certainly made me think twice about uh, accepting a generic drug prescription um, and the lack of oversight we can do uh, in other countries, even though they're making our drugs. Um, that's Catherine Yvonne. The other one is Mind Fixers, Psychiatry's Troubles Search for the Biology of Mental Illness. It just sort of highlights, well, we're giving these drugs, but do we really have evidence that this is the biological reason? And the third one is uh, The First Cell, which has made the top of many lists. The First Cell and the Human Costs of Pursuing Cancer to the Last by Azra Raza. And instead of all these cancer books that are written like, look, you know, this treatment saved this person and then they're doing great. She sort of said, you know, cancer treatments haven't changed much and the rate of survival isn't that great. And yes, we have CAR T therapies, but they aren't as good as one would think. They're very specific. They're effective for what So she's just sort of saying we need to really look at how we deal with cancer. And she's an oncologist. So I felt like instead of changing my mind, it just made me, it gave me permission to feel like the, the inklings of doubt I had about some of these fields was actually right. And so I think I changed, I think I changed this question in my mind as well. What is a book, for example, that helped you crystallize in your mind things that were floating around and then some, you know, help make it more clear in your mind. So I think actually kind of very similar to the way, uh, Joanne approached it. And I think for me, the two here were were two of the books that I think got a lot of coverage this year and think had the potential to be kind of a, a buzz book. So Falter has the human game begun to play itself out by Bill McKibben and the age of surveillance capitalism, the fight for human future at the new frontier of power by Shoshana Zuboff. And in particular, Shoshana Zuboff, I mean, I've always kind of, there's, you know, I've always kind of been thinking to myself, as we all have in the last few years, you know, that Google's pledge, don't be evil, has become a cruel joke. 
And I think, and, you know, the Zuboff's book has really crystallized that for me. There was a lot in there about Google, Amazon, you know, all of those, uh, all of those big tech companies, Facebook, uh, and kind of bringing it all together and, and uh, really very clearly explaining all the different threads of how those companies are using their technology as a way to mine us for what they call the, you know, our digital exhaust that, that then gets sold to companies for their advertising. And so again, it's a huge topic. It's a hugely complicated topic. It's a topic that we're seeing written about every single day. But I thought Zuboff's book uh, really did a great job of pulling that all together. And for me, the McGibbon book, Falter, did did the same uh, for the climate crisis. It really brought together a lot of the threads and and kind of uh, crystallized a lot of things in my mind uh, in a in a in a in a really interesting way. I'm so glad to hear about the age of surveillance capitalism. It's one I've been thinking I should read, and I did read Falter. It was quite good. The thing with surveillance capitalism, um, it's you know it's a bit of a slog. It's 500 and something pages of text. Uh, the book is very big and very heavy. You know, I read it on my iPad, and it somehow even made my iPad feel heavier. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I ended up reading it um, a couple of weekends ago. I, I I had a quick trip to Ottawa for a meeting, and I took the bus. So I ended up getting through basically the whole book on the bus both ways. So I was kind of trapped in this metal, in this hurtling metal container. And that kind of forced me to get through the book. Because uh, it's a slog. It's written in a kind of a academic, in a fairly academic language. It's So it's a page turner, but it's an, a page turner that you have to really give yourself a chance to enter into its world. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, you know, you have to kind of approach it with the idea that uh, I'm going to dedicate myself to this book. It's work. It's work reading. Good to know. What about a book you just couldn't put down? I mean, I know Midnight in Chernobyl was one of those books for anyone who hasn't read it. And I know that doesn't include the two of you because we all have read it this year. <laughs> for me, one of the other really cool things about that book is it's such a page turner. I think I read it in like two sessions. I just couldn't put it down because it's so informative and so interesting. But also it reads a little bit like a thriller um, because you really feel like in the moment, it's not really fictionalized, but it kind of is a little bit fictionalized in places just to make you feel a little bit like you're there following people through the experience. Um, so I definitely couldn't put this book down. It's one that I've been, um, as part of another prompt, um, it's one that I've been recommending to people in my life who don't usually read science books as well, uh, in particular people that I know who like those kind of page turner thriller style books, because it does have, it had that vibe to it for me. Uh, I, well, I tend to agree with you on that one. The, it, it, now that I think of it, I got through that one so quickly, like just, yeah, right away after the, the um, uh, miniseries, I went ahead and read it. But that wasn't my answer for this question. Mine was, This Land, How Cowboys, Capitalism, and Corruption Are Ruining the American West by Christopher Ketchum. And um, this one... It, it just talks about public lands and <clears throat> how there are some, um, well, people, uh, ranchers who are uh, using these public lands 
for their profit by raising cattle. But in the meantime, this cattle grazing is destroying uh, the ecology out there. And um, it also brings up uh, various things that our current president is rolling back on, uh, the size of different monuments and the importance of keeping these monuments for the public without giving them over to these cattle ranchers and things like that. And he's, he's very passionate. That's a polite way of saying it. Very passionate. And um, but you get drawn in. And it really um, made me think very hard about why do we allow a president like this to continue? And it's about business. And, uh, yeah, so it's a very, very uh, fascinating book. And the other book I had trouble putting down was The Uninhabitable Earth. It took me a while. That one's by Life After Warming by David Wallace Wells. That took me a while to get to. It came out earlier this year. But when I got to it, I was like, wow, why did I wait so long? That was a great book. So yeah, I'm. I'm uh, this land is now definitely on my to-read list. Uh, I did read the uninhabitable Earth as well, and I I did find you know just like you, I found it um, uh, really gripping and yes. kind of depressing. I read it on the bus. Yes. I read. A, I do a lot yes. of my my commuting my reading while I'm commuting, and you know, so I try not to read. So yeah, Chernobyl was was a, the Chernobyl book was a difficult book to read uh, on the on the commute because parts of it were. Just so, you know, just so heartbreakingly sad. But mm. anyways, the book that I couldn't put down was Mind and Matter, A Life in Math and Football by John Urschel and Louisa oh. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Such a such a wonderful book. Uh, so John Urschel is is this man who, uh, as an undergrad, uh, uh, was studying math as well as playing on his school's uh, football team, and again uh, ended up with the uh, Baltimore Ravens. At the same time as he was playing football for the Ravens, he was also continuing to study math. And the guy is obviously one of the most, you know, hardworking, flaming geniuses in the entire world. And just the story of his life, and he's only in his 20s. So, you know, you have to imagine what kind of person can write uh, their first memoir uh, in their 20s and make it interesting. Uh, and just so the story of his life, and, and it's again, it's it's more of an internal story. It's the story of how he, how he was able to balance both in terms of, you know, making his life work logistically and well, as well as how he thinks about his life uh, in both math and football. Uh, so yes, that was a book that I, that I, you know, got through very, very quickly, uh, couldn't put down, and uh, would would be a book that I highly recommend for anybody to read, especially if you're interested in either math or football. <laughs> or both. <clears throat> and my son, my son, my son is a mathematician, so there was, uh, and but not a football player. Ah. <laughs> and so that had kind of a bit of extra resonance for me. What about the funniest science book you read this year? Which one made you laugh out loud? Well, um, I, I sort of have three because internet was actually humorous because, you know, the way we talk and speak on the internet is sort of funny. So I like that one. Um, I think an obvious choice for funny was Bill Bryson's latest, The Body, A Guide for Occupants. Uh, so he has that humor that appeals to everyone. And he's sort of, this is the book I am recommending to people who don't normally read science because who doesn't like Bill Bryson? 
Um, but the, the third one is, uh, uh, will my cat eat my eyeballs? Uh, big questions from tiny mortals about death by Caitlin <laughs> Doty. And, uh, yeah, I think when kids ask questions, they're amusing and then she has to answer and she just has a, a really fun way of answering the questions for the kids. So I enjoyed that one a lot. I had heard of that book, but I had not heard that it was by Caitlin Doty. That makes me want to read it even more. She's lovely. She, she's wonderful. She does a great job. Yeah, I, I usually try and make sure I read a bunch of funny books every year. And, and, and somehow, uh, somehow this year I failed. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> you read only quick, depressing quick. books. I didn't read enough funny books to counteract the... Um, the depressing books. Oh, but I did enjoy The Cartoon Guide to Calculus by Larry Gonick. Again, a graphic novel uh, kind of book that uh, had a, it was a, for someone who hasn't taken a calculus course in, you know, probably fairly close to 40 years now. Um, it was a really great, it was a really interesting way and a really fun way to kind of reintroduce my brain to the, to the concepts of calculus in kind of a very lighthearted way. And so I, I did, I did quite enjoy that. It would make a good gift book for anyone who's, you know, studying first year university and has to take calculus. Cause again, it, it has a lot, a high level treatment of a lot of the themes of calculus in a very easy to digest way, which I think would be really helpful to any, any beginning student. I also read in kind of my annual, you know, catch up on famous science books that I've never read before. I did, uh, I did read Packing for Mars by mm -hmm. Mary Roach. And that one was, was completely hilarious. And <laughs> as any, you know, it was, we probably, I'm the only one who came to Mary Roach late, I know, but uh, I probably <laughs> don't have to tell you that uh, all of her books are wonderful, uh, hilarious and informative. And if, if I might suggest, I don't know if you are familiar with Ben Orlin, but he wrote a book called Math with Bad Drawings. Um, yeah, but I then, saw that. And then this year, it's Change is the Only Constant, The Wisdom of Calculus in a Madcap World. And so, you know, I, I'm just more impressed that you can draw badly and make that your thing. <laughs> you know, but he's also, he's a mathematician and he explains calculus quite well. So you might take a look at his math books in the near future. For sure. It sounds great. I think Joanne mentioned one already, but what about books that you would give that person in your life who doesn't normally read science books? Since so I mentioned, is... yeah, since I mentioned the body, I'll let you go, John. <laughs> okay, thanks. So I do have a couple of books uh, for the science denier in my life, Ooh, uh, or the climate oh. denier in my life. I falter that I mentioned before, uh, the Bill McGibbon book, uh, Uninhabitable Earth, that we've talked about as, uh, as well by David Wallace Wells. Also, The End of Ice, Bearing Witness and Finding Meaning in the Path of Climate Destruction by Dar Jamail was also, to me, uh, a book that really humanizes the, the climate crisis and and puts a person at the kind of the, the most important sites of where the climate crisis is really hitting, like, for example, at glaciers and, and other places in the north. So I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was kind of a really good book that could help people kind of turn, uh, turn their attention in a more critical way to an important issue. And I think a, a lot of the, you know, in particular, we see the kind of work that, um, Catherine Hayhoe has done, you know, one way to bridge that 
climate denier um, to bridge that climate denier, you know, gap is through um, uh, shared values. And I thought the end of ice was a really interesting and useful way of saying, yes, we have this shared value of nature and let's just go and visit those places where that shared value of nature seems most at threat and and see and see if we can come to an understanding. So that was that was a that was a really good one as well. On the more entertaining side, I would suggest also uh, Radicalized by Cory Doctorow, which is a, a collection of novellas, so it's fiction. But he really dramatizes uh, his his fiction are basically fictionalized essays. And which often doesn't work so well at novel length, but can work very well at the kind of novella length. And he dramatizes a lot of really important issues in technology, like the Internet of like the dangers of the Internet of Things and the commercialization of of medical research. So and uh, so, yeah, that was that's kind of a that was also a book that I would recommend that would give people a, a really accessible way of gaining more understanding of, of these kinds of important issues in technology. What about a book that you would give the avid science reader who's read literally everything? Oh, I, you know, as I said, I, I feel like I've answered because internet many times, but um, I'd say because internet, because internet, <laughs> 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 we're all on the internet and the way we talk has changed. And uh, it was, it's just a delightful book, and I feel like there aren't a lot of books on linguistics out there that are fun and accessible and really relevant. So I think some, you know, you sure you read about black holes and neurobiology and all these other things, but why not branch out a little bit? So for one, the one for me um, is The Smart Enough City, uh, Putting Technology in Its Place to Reclaim Our Urban Future by Ben Green. So I live in Toronto, of course, and Toronto is where Google, the Google subsidiary or the Alphabet subsidiary, Sidewalk Labs, is proposing to basically take over a bunch of a, a chunk of the city and turn it into a smart city. In other words, a city that, you know, that surveils your every move. And Google is a pretty terrifying company uh, when you think about the fact that they have this smart city technology that they want to implement. They also just purchased Fitbit, and they have what they have in you know Android op- the Android phones, which are with you at all times as well. So between the Fitbit, the phone, and the uh, massive surveillance uh, of the smart city, it becomes this kind of terrifying dystopian vision. And Ben Green rejects that. In the sense that what he does, he emphasizes smart enough. So he says, yeah, you know what? You can use technology for good things. You can make a city a better place by letting the policies and programs you want to implement lead where you take the technology as opposed to putting the technology cart before the horse and letting the technology lead where you want to take the policies and programs. And so again, so I think, so I think this is a really, really interesting, very deep, very in-depth case study of an application of technology that I think is in a 
domain area that most people who read a lot of scientific or technical books would barely even see as maybe a scientific or technical area, right? Urban urban design and urban planning. And so that was definitely a book that I would give to somebody who's who's read it all. Um, from, from me, I think I would recommend two books. The first one is Superior, The Return of Race Science yes. by Angela Saini. Um, this yes. is a really excellent book to read in particular for anyone, um, for really anyone who really values science and looks at the current ecosystem of science and um, and starting to see race creep back into the conversation as a bit of a, a wake up call and also as a bit more of an understanding of the fact that it never really went away and also where some of that stuff originates from. And I think as well, the ways in which well-meaning science can very easily become race science just from us not asking good questions or asking flawed questions. I found it just such a, a really good book to read and a, a good reminder um, that we can't we can't always rest on good intentions when we're when we're do, trying to do good science. The other one is the Human Network: How Your Social Social Position Determines Your Power, Beliefs, and Behaviors by Matthew Jackson. This was not at all what I expected, um, and I found it a really interesting book to read to think about how ideas and and just concepts and people kind of transfer information across social networks. Um, it's a really well written book, very accessible, but also really thorough. Uh, lots of great diagrams in it that help you understand the concepts in the book. And I found it just an incredibly fascinating read. And just it was really, really good. I highly recommend it to just about anybody. So on that same theme of the race science book, there's a book that I didn't read that if I did read it, I would probably recommend to everybody. <laughs> uh, if that makes any sense at all. Invisible Women, Data Bias in a yeah. World Designed for Men by Caroline yeah. Criado Perez. It yeah. seems exactly along those lines where it's like, yeah, you don't think you, you know, you, you have this idea about how the world is and it's not true. Let me give you this book. That's yeah. going to tell you that's going to give you and my impression of the book is it is a very evidence based book. It concentrates on, you know, OK, you may think that there's no bias, but let's look at the data. And when you see the data, you know, you should be able to recognize that you were biased and the data tells you something else. So that's definitely that's I think, like I said, even though I haven't read it yet, that's definitely a book that I would uh, that I would recommend for people. Right. This one is on the book I haven't read and is on my wish list. That is also, yeah, mine too. The book you haven't read, but it's <laughs> on your wish list. We all, we all are starting to think alike. That's both great, uh -oh. but maybe not great. <laughs> um, and since we're there, I will mention that one of the other books that's on my list, uh, which uh, you mentioned, Joanne, was Mind Fixer. So it's good to hear that that yeah. one was a good book because it has been on my list for a little while. And I think it's going to be the next one I get to after I finish the patch. It is good. You'll enjoy it. Uh, what about you both? What else is on your, your wish list that you haven't read yet? I started Underland, A Deep Time Journey by Robert McFarlane. Um, and I'm hoping to finish that before the end of the year. So 
it's about under, it's like what's under our feet. And one of those expansive things that goes into history and science and yeah, culture and society. And so I look forward to it, to really getting through the rest of it. I just barely started it. So yeah, there's a couple of books that are that are on my list. Uh, one of them is um, "Why Trust Science" by Naomi mm. Oreskes, and she's mm-hmm. written. You know, I think that seems like a pretty timely book. And and I've I've read uh, her stuff before, of course, obviously. And it's uh, the title of the famous one has uh, slipped my mind at the moment. Um, but you know that I think that's a that's a book that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Invisible Women. As as I mentioned, and uh, the Rachel Maddow book is 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 purchased, but not but not begun yet. So corrupted democracy, so blowout, corrupted democracy, road state Russia, and the richest, most destructive industry on earth. Uh, so yeah, I'll probably that's one that I'm going to definitely get to probably uh, first thing in the new year, and we'll you know who knows where it'll be on my list of books to talk about next year. Exactly. You know, I, I know we didn't do this one, which was most informative or made you learn something. And um, I really just wanted to mention this book called Good to Go, What the Athlete and All of Us Can Learn from the Strange Science of Recovery by Christy Eschwanden. And she uh, used to be with 538, the blog, but she's uh, like branching out on her own. But what I learned from this book was that, well, I already sort of knew, exercise science and recovery science it's not done very well, <laughs> you know? So I thought, oh, you know, and I know so many athletes, so many runners, so, you know, should I ice my legs? Should I do infrared spot, thermal spa? Should I do this? Should I do that, right? And so she addresses all of those, and ultimately at the end she says, there's not a lot of evidence for any of it, but if it makes you feel good, then, you know, go ahead. Like there's something, a little something to the placebo effect or convincing yourself. But the book is very good, very well written. She has a science background and she's also got an athletic background. I thought it was really good. So if, if we're allowed to bring bring up a book we haven't had a chance to mention yet under a category uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about was a book that pleasantly surprised you. For me, it was Coders, The Making of a New Tribe and the Remaking of the World by Clive Thompson. And so it's about programmer culture. It's about software development culture. And I'm always looking for good books for undergrads, like in engineering or computer science, something that'll help to explain their culture to themselves. Mm. And in particular, often when I see these books, they're like, oh, the programmers are the new gods. Or, oh, those programmers are the worst people in the world. And I don't think, you know... I'm looking for a I would be looking for a book that's going to resonate on a on a level that's more humane to say okay you know what these are the these are the things about your culture that are good and these are the things about your culture that you might want to think about a little bit more deeply and the Thompson book I thought did did a very good job of that it's very honest about the flaws in the programming culture but I think it also does a good job of explaining how the culture is attractive to people and explaining how the culture, uh, that kind of programming culture is going to, is changing the world and will change the world, but how it kind of draws people in and 
and encourages them in their uh, in their talents. Again, in a way that's that's very realistic, that's very honest about who is excluded and why. Uh, but again, I think I find that it does uh, something that a lot of the books on those on those kinds of issues don't, and that's to be kind of really honest and humane. Uh, and and recognize the strengths and the weaknesses at the same time. Well, as per usual, I'm sure we haven't hit all of the books on your respective list that you wanted to bring up, but we are out of time. <laughs> I do hope you'll yeah. both send me your book list so that we can add those to the bottom of the blog post we'll create with these lists on it. So anybody who's interested uh, can have a look at those books as well, even though we didn't get around to mentioning them. Absolutely. It's always absolutely. a pleasure to come here and to talk about books. Yes, absolutely. The email that I look forward to the most every year is the one from you <laughs> saying, time to do this again. <laughs> I'm so glad because I do I do love this episode. I think it's a great um, – I look forward to it every year because as per usual, you can't see it, but there is a notepad in front of me where I've been jotting down books. Um, this is one of the places where I start to set up all of the books and the people that I might want to talk to next year. Uh, so selfishly, I get a lot of great inspiration from this from the standpoint of what episodes might come out next year as like little sneak peeks for people. I'm sure everyone's noticed that there is a high correlation between books that are talked about in this episode and books that I cover in the following year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've made my list too now. Yep, me guys. too. So yeah, invite Cory Doctorow. He's a great interview. Excellent. Uh, I will I have I think I've tried to get Cory on before, but he's a he's a bit difficult to book. So finger cross your fingers for us. We'll see if we can get him this time. I can imagine. And if you want that list of books we talked about today and the others that we didn't get a chance to, you'll be able to find a link to the blog post with that list and also links where you can buy the books in the show notes for this episode, which will be at our website, scienceforthepeople.ca. You can also go into our blog uh, and see all of the previous books we recommended on previous episodes, which as John mentioned earlier on, we've been doing since 2014 crazy. Um, and also up on our bookshelf, you'll be able to see any book that we've talked about in an episode of Science for the People previously. Next up, Bethany and I continue our annual December search across the internet for the best nerdy gifts we can find, or at least the ones that make us squee. More gift ideas coming up. Merry Christmas, Bethany. And happy holidays, or happy Hanukkah, or happy Kwanzaa, or whatever you celebrate to you, Rochelle. <laughs> it's always uh, so much fun to create a miscellaneous science nerd Christmas shopping list. And once again, I had way too much fun putting this list together. Are you ready to squee about some of the items on this list with me? Oh my goodness, you came through so hard. I am not... I am one of those people that kind of tries to avoid buying things. And every year I see this list and I'm like, but I need, I need the thing. It is, I have to admit, far too much fun uh, to put together. Uh, I was talking a little bit before we started recording about how I put this list together. And basically, like the week or two before we record this episode, I have an excuse to just sit 
on my phone or my iPad while I'm watching TV or on the train um, and search for really weird combinations of things, of science keywords on places like Amazon to see what I can find. And that's basically how this list happens every year for anyone who's curious. It is it is a fabulous, fabulous list. I <laughs> it, it's hard this year. I have a I have a white elephant gift exchange coming up. And I think I might be mining this list. And oh well, my goodness, I hope everybody really likes tardigrades. <laughs> I also hope everyone likes tardigrades. I mean, so shall like we? Tardigrades. You have to have no souls not like tardigrades. I mean, anybody who likes tardigrades definitely doesn't listen to this podcast, right? Fair. Fair. <laughs> well, shall we get started? Let's talk about some nerd clothing you might like. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Oh, I I want to go first because I. If it weren't for the fact that I cannot wear yellow to save my life, this honeybee shirt um, that you found on Etsy is just the cutest. I love I love science nerd clothing that is kind of subtle, you know, that is both like sciencey but also kind of artistic. And this has um, it's a honeybee shirt, and it has this beautiful kind of. It looks very much like um like those prints and. Uh, plates uh, that mm. people make for like species of different plants and animals, except it's species of plants and bees. It's so lovely. This is definitely the one that I think might go on my own Christmas list because right now my family is harassing me to make a Christmas list of things that I want, and this one's going on the, on there. I think it is. It is. It is lovely, and I I love how it, it's definitely like not just a wear around your science nerds shirt. Yes. It's a wear all the time shirt. Definitely. Another shirt that I found that uh, really appeals to the like retro tech nerd in me is this Never Forget t-shirt that has an old floppy disk, an old VHS, and an old cassette tape on it, all like holding hands. And there's a part of me that's just like, I love this t-shirt and it's so true. It's very millennial. It's very millennial and it's very <laughs> millennial like tech nerd focus and you can get it in a bunch of colors as well which is super fun so if like blue is not your thing which is the one that's linked to if you prefer red there's a red one or hot pink or hot pink i mean definitely the hot pink right um i love you found a couple of excellent heart t-shirts that i love because they are anatomically correct heart t-shirts with labels for the anatomy <laughs> I adore that because a lot of people don't really understand how the whole thing kind of twists around. I've actually been taking a medical anatomy course this year, and these shirts have always appealed to me, but they actually appeal to me even more than usual. Um, there's three of them. There's two that are uh, heart shirts that have like the left ventricle label, the right ventricle, the atria, etc. Um, and then there's one that's kind of a beautiful anatomical illustration of a heart. So it's, it is labeled, but it's labeled in, in teeny print, but it's a really nice kind of classic, uh, drawing illustration of the human heart. And it, they both come in, uh, they, all, all of these shirts actually come in fits for, uh, both genders, women and men. Um, so you can get any fit you want. 
I also found, uh, so there's always a lot of like science joke t-shirts and I try to be selective on the ones that actually make me laugh. So the science funny ones that I share or that I find, they tend to be a little skewed towards my humor, but one that I did, I did giggle at like actually out loud was the t-shirt that says it's going to be a okay. And it's got a picture of a tibia on it. Really like that one. I I mean, I personally think that word science nerd word humor is the best humor like puns are the highest form of humor and science puns are the highest form of that in my personal opinion i feel like this one appeals to a wide variety of science nerd yes and this one actually also comes in kid sizes yes which is pretty pretty useful um i was really won over by this t-shirt that um that you sent that is kind of uh everybody knows the classic vitruvian man um Leonardo da Vinci drawing. This one is a Vitruvian woman who is wearing a white lab coat and protective eyewear and gloves and closed-toed shoes. Yes. <laughs> and I deeply appreciate her de- her devotion to PPE, proper proper lab equipment, uh, personal protective lab equipment, and, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. She does. Um, I'm a little concerned that I think her legs are bare. But you know, if that's if that's the only you know the only other issue, she's got her hair back. She's got the eye protective uh, gear on. She's got the full coat, and she's got really good looking gloves. So, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited by this one. It was pretty sweet. Uh, I also found some excellent Christmas sweaters, and uh, in particular, this year seems like a banner year for T Rex Christmas sweaters. These such make that me I couldn't. So happy! I just I found them, and I couldn't pick one. Usually, I try and pick one on a theme, and I was like, nope, can't, can't pick. So uh, I've got one that is for kids. It's a toddler uh, Christmas sweater, and it's got a T Rex wearing a Santa hat, and it's really cute. Um, then I have another one that's adult sized, and it's got like a T. Rex doing a dance and he's also wearing an ugly Christmas sweater and it's so good. I love it so he's much. He's so into it. Like the look on his face is like this T-Rex has had too much eggnog and he's having oh, a wonderful time. A hundred percent. He's super into the party. And then the other one, which makes me happy on many levels is it's got a T-Rex eating reindeer. So great. It's so <laughs> it's like, great. Well, no, my favorite thing is the remnants of the Santa suit at his feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's, you know, it's not for everyone. But if if your humor like my humor is also a little bit dark, you will love this Christmas sweater. It is on point. T-Rex eating Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably not even the tune. I don't care. Uh, I I loved this other one you found. It is not T-Rex. But it is delightful. It is uh, single cells. As in single cells, single cells, <laughs> and single a cells all the way. sweater yep. of pretty little single cells, um, and there's a definite E. coli on there, um, and it's it's very cute. Though I think the center one's a virus. Yeah, that's a virus. I think um, it does. So maybe not entirely accurate, but it. I, I appreciated the Christmas science joke. Yes, it's really it's cute, and also one of the cells is wearing a little Santa hat, and that makes me happy. Tee. There's also uh, an astronaut science sweater that I found where uh, there's an astronaut with some science graphics and he's holding what looks to be like the planet balloons, which is really cute. So if you've got uh, a science or um, 
an astronomy or astronaut or, you know, space nerd, uh, this would be a really good science sweater for them. I should also note that I believe he is holding the correct number. I think I see eight. One, two, three, no, four, I see five. nine. I see nine. I see nine. Oh, so he's he's a pro Pluto planet. Pro Pluto balloon guy. Um, man. <laughs> so so if so you might have to think about your political leanings from the standpoint of where your Pluto values are, uh, if you decide to buy this sweater. Or if you know there's someone out there who like really is still upset that Pluto was not uh, con- did, has not continued to be a, an official planet. This feels like the perfect gift for that person. Well, also get over it. <laughs> Pluto's not a planet, and that's okay. We can't all be planets. I'm not a planet. Anyway, um, I fell in love with these. We are moving away from shirts. Yes, I fell in love with these tardigrade slippers. <laughs> they are really cute. Oh, They're so cute. Tardigrade slippers. They're blue. They're perfect. <laughs> they've got great little eyes they've got the little like tardigrade mouth where they look like they're going they're so and also good. they've got the little extra tardigrade feet and is there yes. anything better than putting a pair of slippers on your feet that have extra feet no there is not like extra that feet is, on your feet are the best feet. that is one of the best things yes they are they are so cute uh, this is we have the white elephant gift exchange coming up somebody might be getting a pair of tardigrade slippers <laughs> because you just you cannot deny that kind of awesome And then the last thing we have in the clothing category is I found these number two pencil socks, which I really like. They're like knee high uh, women's socks that look like number two pencils. And that that I just find it incredibly satisfying. It really is astonishingly satisfying. Um, And I might have to get a pair. I usually wear knee high socks when I go running in the winter um, because you need that that extra coverage. And uh, a number two pencil sock seems seems pretty legit. It seems uh, perfect for just about anybody, really. Who doesn't like number two pencils? (laughs) Get out your number twos. Shall we move on to jewelry? Yes, let me open up a bunch of tabs. All right, on to jewelry. One of the things I found this year that I really like, um, and because it's a little bit different than anything I found before that takes the kind of standard DNA helix is a bracelet, but the DNA helixes create the like links of the bracelet. Uh, so it's not a charm that goes off them. It's actually the bracelet itself is in the shape of the helix, which I really like. It's really quite pretty. It is. Yeah. And I like how it kind of is, you know, again, it's subtle. It's not, yeah. you know, like science shoved in your face. It's like, oh, she's wearing this beautiful, you know, she, he, they, whoever's wearing this bracelet is wearing a beautiful, you know, kind of small chain. And then you look closely at the chain and oh, no, that's DNA. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you look a little, it's like, oh, that's a lovely bracelet I see you've got there. Oh, my gosh, is that a helix? It's one of those. Although I think, oh, by the way, if you wear it, you have to flip it the other way from the picture because otherwise it doesn't turn the right way. Right. <laughs> one must be accurate when wearing their science jewelry. Absolutely required. I fell in love when you posted this link with the Fibonacci sequence necklace charm. It's It's really pretty. It's really graceful. Mm -hmm. Um, A Fibonacci uh, sequence is a, is a mathematical sequence that, um, you know, forms this beautiful kind of series of triangular lines with a spiral coming out. Um, And the pendant is this, it, it ends up looking really modern. Yeah. You know, it has kind of this, this kind of clean modern line to it that I really like. 
Yeah, it's really, really nice. I It was one of the ones that struck me as soon as I saw it in my various Googling, um, and I immediately put it on the list because it, it just it has a certain look about it that you don't often see. I mean, I've seen some Fibonacci jewelry before, but this is one that just as soon as I looked at it, I went, yeah, that's got to go on the list. Yeah, it's really nice. For the chemist um, in your life who likes charms or likes jewelry, uh, there is a link to a an Etsy shop that's got a variety of um, kind of charms uh, that are chemistry themed, which I really like. Again, they're small and subtle, but also you can you put them on your own chain or if you're someone who likes uh, charm bracelets, you can put them on a bracelet. There's some really really lovely little pieces here and ones that I don't see very often, like the yeah. RNA. I don't often see, I think, I don't think I've ever seen that one before. Yeah. It's they've a got TRNA. I'm really excited. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a TRNA. Yeah. And like, you know, they've got the standards for the, that you would expect. They've got the dopamine, they've got the adrenaline, caffeine. Uh, they've got caffeine, of course, but there's a few other ones here. Benzene they've got, which is lovely. Um, and the, uh, the RNA as well. It, it just there's some interesting different things in this shop that I don't normally see, which is cool. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I also really love. So there are many of us in this world who have to wear key cards um, in our daily lives, and you might as well. You know, everyone wears the lanyard, like for meetings or for when you have key cards that you have to carry all the time in your um, science life. Not that I know anything about that. Um, and we always wore like kind of boring lanyards like you just take one from your latest conference or whatever why yeah. not have an awesome lanyard so here no is joke cool... that is exactly what i was thinking when i saw this i'm like you know what this is a perfect stocking stuffer for those people in your life who work a corporate job or a lab job where they gotta hold a key card or they gotta have keys on them and i literally that's what i thought of because yeah otherwise we're all wearing we're all trying to find like the most discreet of the crappy conference ones <laughs> Exactly. And like, which company do you want to rep on your lanyard? Well, now you don't have to, because you can wear a rainbow lanyard that is a periodic table of the elements. I I really uh, like this. And it this as well as just like a prompt. So if you've got someone in your life, you know, who wears a lanyard, like do some Google searching for some sweet lanyards for them. What a great stocking stuffer. Yeah. And also, I like this one. It looks soft. Yes. Because a lot of them, they get kind of itchy and they kind of dig in your neck. Yeah. I also found, and I'm sure many people know these things exist, but it's the first time that I had ever seen one, which is a bracelet helper buddy. So it's it's a, a thing that allows you to hold part of your bracelet as you put it on so that you can link them together properly. And as someone who is really bad at putting on bracelets, I was like, why did it take until now for me to see that this is a thing that exists? I, uh, I admit that I was this many years old when I realized that that existed. <laughs> It's really nice looking too. Yeah, I mean, you can get ones that are really, um, really simple and just really basic. But also, if you're the type of person that likes a little embellishment, you can also get one that that looks quite lovely. So uh, I just looked at it and went, yeah, duh. Why didn't I think of that? I, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, we always find these like, ancient pieces of jewelry and stuff in like archaeological digs. I wonder if anybody's ever going to find like an ancient bracelet helper. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you they will. I'm sure there's something there that maybe we're looking at, looking at it and thinking, oh, maybe that was like a hair stick, but actually it was a bracelet helper. Um, I really love this cuff that you found. So it's not a bracelet necessarily. It's more of a cuff. Um, and it's a periodic table of elements cuff and it's a wide, 
aluminum bracelet cuff, you know, kind of like your Wonder Woman cuffs. Everybody loves your Wonder Woman cuffs. Um, and this just happens to have the periodic table of elements on it. And I actually really love cuffs because um, I have a tattoo on the inside of my wrist. And every once in a while, you need to go to a thing where they probably aren't going to really appreciate that you've got a tattoo on the inside of your wrist. And so then you can wear a cuff to cover it up um, instead of like having to use makeup or anything. Uh, and I love the idea of wearing a periodic table of elements cuff being like, yeah, I'm still going to wrap my science nerd tasticness, <laughs> even if you can't see my tattoos. I I really like this one. I myself am not much of a cuff wearer, but I could see myself wearing this one, which is one, one of the reasons I added it to the list. And uh, if you are the type of person that likes to accessorize with ties rather than jewelry, um, Artologica, which is an Etsy store that makes um, some fantastic scarves and um, prints on like Petri dishes, biologically themed uh, prints, that shop is now making ties, which we were both talking about. It feels like that is such an obvious uh, an obvious place for these prints to go. So there are some beautiful ties on here with her prints. Oh, they are also silk ties. Yes. So no, no crappy ties here. Um, and they are gorgeous. It really is just a wonderful, like, place for her prints. Um, and fantastic for the science tie-wearing person in your life. They come in a variety of cool colors and neat prints. The one that we've found, I think, is the Petri dish one, which yep. I just I just love. It's so neat looking, and I, I love how the colors kind of blend together, and you get this beautiful blue-green like color story that I just think is really fantastic. Yeah, in, in retrospect, it seems like such a, it's just such a great place for some of her prints. Yes. All right, let's open up the next bath. Um, it's hard because I, I keep trying to keep open those tardigrade slippers so I can order them later. <laughs> well, they're going to stay on this. They're going to stay on here. So it's true. You can always reopen them later. Uh, so the next section we have is what I have labeled games, puzzles, and distractions. Um, and the first thing on that list is something I found in my searching travels this year called Journal 29, which is an interactive book game. So it's a book that you get that has inside it a bunch of um, puzzles, riddles, and actually you submit answers in online spaces that give you keys and allow you to move forward. Um, it involves, uh, apparently involves like searching and folding pages, trying to, to solve little puzzles. Um, it's got uh, 148 pages in the book that has 63 riddles you can solve. And it, it just looks really cool and interesting. So if you've got someone in your life who likes those kinds of puzzles, um, it, it just seems like a, a really fun thing to do, perhaps on a weekend. Uh, I know that there's a couple of friends of mine who haven't done this one in particular, but who ordered something kind of similar to this. And it basically just they spent a weekend working on it together and had a really great time to solve uh, this puzzle that they got. I think it was like a puzzle in a box of some kind. So this struck me as like a really great way to hang out with friends or to hang out with family and work together to solve a puzzle. Yeah, it looks really cool. I like the I like the look of it. And also it's definitely it's neat because it's this book, but you have to, you know, check in online, you have to use a smartphone, but you also have to use the book and a pencil. Um, so I really appreciate that kind of aspect of it. And it looks as well like you can get some hints from Amazon Alexa. So if you've got an Alexa at home, it sounds like you can ask Amazon for some help as well. Don't ask for hints. Come on. 
Gotta play honest. (laughs) Now, I am a huge coloring book person. Like, you know how I think it was maybe last year or two years ago, there was a coloring book craze for Mm -hmm. like, you know, relaxing coloring books. Suffice it to say that I was coloring before it was cool. And I will be coloring after it was cool. (laughs) Right. You'll you'll color forever. I will color forever. And and that's actually because um, I used to teach neuroanatomy uh, to graduate students. And when I taught neuroanatomy to graduate students, um, I would print out and label neuroanatomy coloring books for them uh, to help them study. Because, you know, when you're totally brain dead and you're just completely fried and you've been studying, you know, the rubrospinal tract till your eyeballs bleed, you need some time to relax. And, you know, don't get out of the zone. Go ahead and color a brain. (laughs) You know, kind of reinforce what you know while you relax. Um, and so you found the fabulous Netter Anatomy coloring book, um, which is based on the illustrations from the Netter Atlas, which I actually have. I have a, a Netter Anatomy Atlas, which, by the way, if you are an anatomy nerd, I highly recommend. I sometimes just look through it just for, for fun and it makes me happy. Um, but the Netter Anatomy coloring book, um, is based on the netter plates and it's really beautiful. Um, and there's also a netter neuroanatomy coloring book. There's a neuroscience one, um, that you can use as you learn all 12 of your cranial nerves. Um, and, you know, in case you forget your little mnemonics, you can color them instead. I love coloring. I tend to use iPad coloring because it's really quite easy and I don't have to worry about losing pencil crayons or sharpening pencil crayons. Um, but if I had one of these, I would absolutely use these. I, I, I'm someone who like I need to, if I'm watching TV or a movie or listening to a podcast and I don't, uh, and I'm not like walking somewhere um, when I'm listening to a podcast, I like to have something to occupy my hands while I do that. So I've really gotten into coloring as just like a physical thing I can do to keep keep that part of my brain happy and humming along while I'm also listening or watching something. And, you know, you could theme, you you could do themes. So you could theme your science related podcast, like say our science podcast with some of these science coloring books. I love that idea. Yeah. (laughs) Something else I found that would just make a fun stocking stuffer and a fun um, thing for kids to play with. If you have some science minded kids or just kids in general is the magnetic putty uh, that they usually come with a magnet and because of the the way the putty is it's sort of like you can move the magnet around and the putty like reaches for it it looks like a really fun thing to play with live putty <laughs> it's alive and it comes in different colors you yes. can get it in blue <laughs> I it just looks really cool. And because you can sort of play with it with a magnet, it adds an extra piece of fun to it, I think. Um, We also found a couple of really fantastic board games. Um, So if you're, you know, hanging out at the holidays, and you have, you know, a group of people that need to be kept working in harmony for a specific period of time, Not that any of us would know anything about that. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend uh, this game that I personally have played. It's called Photosynthesis. Um, and you compete with each other to grow a forest. <laughs> with trees. I love this. It and looks it's a you, It looks so pretty as well. It's got these little cutout standing trees. It looks like it's just a really lovely little game. It is, it is a, a lovely game um and you have to kind of the sun moves around the board and so you have to kind of fight for resources um and and so it's it's a really interesting uh strategy game 
that is also kind of, it's actually astonishingly peaceful to play huh. um, because you're, you're just growing trees. Like you're competing for resources and there's strategy, but you're growing trees. You're growing trees. <laughs> you know, who doesn't like trees? Exactly. You also found this um, evolution climate game. Yes, I have played this game. Um, it's really good. Uh, boy, this game will teach you about climate in a way that is actually astonishingly visceral. Um, hmm. Well, first of all, I have to say you can tell by looking at the cover of the game. It's beautiful. Yeah, the art on the box is uh, just really pretty. The whole game is like that. It's stunning art, really gorgeous. Um, but basically, every turn, the climate shifts. And it either gets colder or it gets warmer. And you're trying to grow your organisms mm -hmm. with different traits. You know, maybe they burrow or maybe they are carnivores or something like that. Um, and as you do that, the climate is shifting. What are you going to do to keep your animals alive? How will they evolve? There's a lot of chance. There's a lot of luck. And it's a really visceral experience of climate change and also of natural selection because it has this luck element to it. Mm. Um, and <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, you lose a lot of species. <laughs> I can imagine. But I, I really loved how it, you know, if you kind of are kind of feeling the impacts of climate change, this this will kind of, this will tap into that. And I, I really appreciated it. I also found a game that was repeatedly highly recommended called um, Wingspan. Um, so I've never played it, but uh, it kind of kept coming up this year as one to go to. And it looks like um, it, you're sort of a bird collector and a bird enthusiast trying to attract uh, the most interesting birds to your aviary. Um, and it Everywhere I went, I kept seeing this game pop up. So it was one I'm going to recommend based on the sheer number of recommendations that I saw. And I would love, I would love for people to uh, send us a message back if they get this and tell us all about it. Because it, it looks like a really interesting game. And you get to build a little birdhouse as part of your yes. game setup, which everybody loves building a little birdhouse. A hundred percent. Shall we move on to kitchen? Yes. So one of... I mentioned that I, I sort of look for the science humor stuff and there's a lot of the samey stuff every year and I try and find the ones that you don't kind of see everywhere. And this one I think is my find of the year this year. It is a crisper. I will cut you mug and I love it. I just love it so much. I, if my friend Tina is listening, Tina, this is what I'm getting you for Christmas. Just, you know, so you know, don't buy it for yourself. <laughs> and it's I, I, have to, I love it because I, I have to say you know, you hear a lot about CRISPR in the news. I haven't seen a lot of CRISPR humor. This is I know. probably the first example of, of real CRISPR humor that I've seen, and I, I adore it. <laughs> it's so good, and I love the little look on the the uh, the helix's face and the scissor. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. Um, I really love these dinosaur mugs that you found. I think they're from Uncommon Goods, mm -hmm. and. A lot of times when you find dinosaur mugs, they're like cartoony little dinosaur mugs. Yep. These are not. These look like legit, nice pottery dinosaur mugs. Yeah, they they look like um like 
they look like they would be so comfortable, these mugs to just like hold in your hand. They have a very satisfying, they look like they are very satisfying mugs to have, not just uh, mugs with dinosaurs on them, but like and, really great mugs. And they also look like tasteful. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they look like tasteful pottery. So they're if you love dinosaurs, but also want to appear adult. <laughs> yes. For the, the adult science and dinosaur enthusiast. <laughs> I found on Etsy. Uh, I also found on Etsy um, a wine tasting flight, which I love. You could use these for beer, you could use them for whiskey, whatever you want. But basically, for anyone who has done um, flights before, you know you need kind of smaller glasses, uh, and usually they come in some kind of like wooden thing that tells you what each one is. And this one is test tubes, and it's really great. I love this. It's really pretty, and I, I, I'm glad that you can use them for for multiple things. But I, yeah, it's really pretty it looks very nicely carved mm-hmm. um so i really appreciate like the wooden holder yep um uh, speaking of things made of wood i love this cutting board yes <laughs> we i think one year we had a fibonacci sequence cutting board that i thought was really pretty but this one i like even better because it is a bamboo cutting board um and what's really important about it is that it has all the grooves in it so that you can cut everything perfectly yep which matters to me a lot. <laughs> I, I just, I care about those things, okay? I want to be able to cut perfect one-inch slices of bread, and now I can. Yep, and it gives you uh, a little uh, a little uh, diagram on it that allows you to do a certain type of dice. You can do the medium dice, small dice. You can do Julian dice, or yes. fine Julian dice. It oh, gives you that, it. like, it's... It's for the chopper, someone who loves to cook and loves to chop. uh, This is an excellent looking board. It's also a great board for when you have someone who wants to help and they're no good in the kitchen and they're like, oh, how small do I dice it? You can just point. Uh, Yes, definitely would do that. Oh, and also, uh, I just noticed this on here, which now I'm going to put on. I don't know if you can see on the Amazon page you're looking at right now, Bethany, there is a cheese degrees. (gasps) Yes. Uh, I didn't I didn't see that until just now. That's going on the list. I'm putting cheese degrees on the list. Though, I mean, if you're like me, if you're a cheese person like me, this would involve actually cutting like slices of cheese or degrees of cheese off your wheel. And that's just unimportant to me because I just put the whole wheel on my plate and call it done. That's true, but there is something immensely satisfying about this cheese cutting board, which uh, it's definitely getting included. Uh, Next up, we have the Globe Trotter Etched Globe Spirits Decanter, which is a uh, a decanter that sits like a sort of standard globe. It's got a lovely holder in it. Um, And then it also comes with two... Uh, glasses that match it. Uh, and all of them are etched with uh, the globe, which I just, it's really a lovely thing. If you're this the type of person, new. yeah, like if you're the type of person that decants wine or, you know, anything really that you might want to decant or put spirits in, this is a very lovely piece that would look great sitting on a sideboard. Um, it would look great if you have a Christmas party and you want to like give a little extra pizzazz uh, to your group. It, it's really a nice looking, a nice looking decanter. Well, and I know how you feel about whiskey and this is just, it's perfect. It's true. For that. 
Um, I really love these white wine chemistry stemless wine glasses. I mean, I'll be honest, when I drink wine, red wine, white wine, and everyone's like, oh, you have to have the certain, you know, size glass with like the shape. I'm just like, uh, it is in a glass. What more do you want of me? (laughs) (laughs) It could be in a plastic cup. It is not. Or it could be coming right out of a box. Okay. True, true. (laughs) Um, I'm not a classy person. Uh, But these are beautiful. They are these stemless wine glasses, which I highly appreciate. Because as as someone, you you know how it is after you drink several glasses of wine, the whole stem thing starts mm-hmm. to seem a little precarious. So stemless is the way to go. Um, and they have beautiful chemicals etched all over them, um, including, of course, uh, ethanol. But they also have all of these um, kind of esters and like volatile chemicals that give you the sense of things like grapefruit and blackberry. Um, to kind of like show the chemistry that goes with the smell of the wine you're drinking, which I think is is really cool. Yeah, I, I love that these what really caught me with these ones is it's not just the like ethanol. They someone thought very carefully about some of the other things that they could put on these given there for wine. And that I found very satisfying. Yeah, it's really it's really beautiful to see. Uh, and then last up on our kitchen list, I have a uh, bug in the code glasses. So if you've got a computer nerd in your life, and let's face it, lots of people are computer nerds these days, in particular a computer programming nerd, you will, I'm sure, and they will, I'm sure, love uh, these glasses that have uh, bugs on them with computer code inside them. And uh, they're great. I really like them. And also, uh, as beer is my is my personal drink of choice, I appreciate that these are pint size. <laughs> Definitely. Gotta have a proper pint. So now moving on to um, kind of fun art decor, science decor, really. Um, we have uh, Rochelle's obsession with clocks showing itself. It's true. It's true. Every <laughs> year there will be more interesting clocks because I cannot stop myself. I mean, they are gorgeous. And every time I see these clocks, I look at my my little like, you know, $8 basic kitchen wall clocks that I have and I, I kind of sigh with sadness. Um, these are These are gorgeous. This is a flip down retro clock. Um, and it's got internal gear operation. And when the times change, it does that satisfying little flip thing that they do, um, which I just think is delightful. Um, and it's Love a it. standing desk clock. So it'll give you that satisfying little flip on your desk. I love it. It's like the old school um, like boards that you would see in like an old train station. It's got that kind of feel or like the old school clocks. I know my grandfather had one for years by his bedside that actually like flipped. And I loved watching that clock flip. Speaking of departure boards, I was watching a YouTube series uh, um, called All the Stations, and one of the hosts, uh, Jeff Marshall, he um, heard about this guy that made UK departure boards uh, for people to put like on their desks or in their homes, and you can actually link them in to the UK departure board or the train departure system. And you can specify what trains you're interested in. So the whole idea with this clock is you can program it to show you a specific train or a specific departure that you can then have in your home. So if you're the type of person that goes, uh, that has to catch a train every day um, to commute in and out of work or in and out of school, you can have the actual departure times 
in your home running from, so you'll know if the train is delayed because your departure board will show you the actual departure times. It's awesome. They're this so is cool. Utterly genius. I love it. Um, I'm always, you, you know how it is. We all have train apps on our phone now yes. um, that we pull up like train or bus apps. And uh, I would love it if I just had one displayed. Like that would make that would make me so comforted because as it is, I have to like go through my apps and I have to like open yeah. the app and the app has to update and I'm kind of freaking out the whole time. I will say that I believe these are only available for the UK train network, which is sad. But if you're in the UK, uh, these are really cool. And this next uh, this next clock, it is a clock. Um, I'm a little annoyed at the advertising because the advertising is a father's husband, son, kids summer project. And you know what? Everybody likes clocks. Yes. And this is really cool. This does not need to be a father-son project, though it could be that. It could be a mother-daughter project, a mother-son project, a Absolutely. You know, uncle you know, and child project. It could be a just fun project you do on your own. And it's a DIY kit to create your own digital display clock. Yes, with like vacuum tubes. It looks so sciencey. It's awesome. It's got <laughs> like a really a very steampunk air. Yeah, it's got a very steampunk vibe to it, which is fun. Which I appreciate. Yeah, it, it looks really good. And it seems like a great thing for you know, two people to kind of make a project of and do together. If you're that kind of pair of people that can successfully like build Ikea furniture without hating each other, I guess. Definitely. So we all know that uh, the Venn diagram between people who love science and people who love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that there's a lot of crossover there. We can all accept that it's not 100% crossover, but that overlap is large. I'm sorry. In my head, it's a perfect circle. Well, we have to leave a little bit of space for those one or two crazy people that we personally can't understand who love science but don't like Hitchhiker's Guide. So I am not talking to you, uh, those small number of people, because I just fundamentally have trouble understanding your brain. But for everybody else uh, in that very heavy overlap, I found these Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy prints on Etsy, which I have fallen in love with and I desperately want, You're that so have perfect. those moments from Hitchhiker's Guide with the whale you all know what i'm talking about there is a fantastic print i love it i think i think my favorite is uh the small pot of petunias that just yes. says oh no not again yes yes it's so good uh so you should check these out because they look fantastic and i want both i kind of need them myself we can be twins yep um i really love you know one of the great things about kind of the science era that we're living in, I guess, is that we're seeing more and more of like these tiny parts of our lives and of our universes, and we're realizing how beautiful and artistic they are. Um, and one of the things that I think is really beautiful are plasmids, um, tiny rings of DNA, um, or sometimes RNA. Um, and you can actually create these images of plasmids that have coding regions in them. And usually they're done in different colors. And you end up with these beautiful rings that have all these different colors for every coding region. And somebody made an art print of it, of, in of a watercolor, watercolor a whole bunch of plasmids. And it's beautiful. <laughs> The water watercolor is such a great medium for these kinds of visuals as well, because you get the subtlety of the watercolor in creating these rings. They're really, really like striking. Yeah, they're really gorgeous. And the colors are really saturated. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's beautiful. And also, like, I don't know about you, but I find them very satisfying to look at. Yes, me too. Yeah. Uh, continuing the theme on art prints, uh, I found a set of four DNA prints um, that have some really interesting look again. Um, if, you, if you're looking for kind of interesting prints for your home or for your office, if you are a DNA uh, biology nerd, there's some great stuff here um, in this set of four of the helix of um, I, I don't remember what it's called, but that circular, uh, the circular diagram, which I know has a name, but I can never remember what it's called. I kind of refer to it in my head as, oh, yeah, that's kind of the picture that got stolen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, it's that. <laughs> and I one of the things I love about this set of four is the style of it. It's, yes. um, it's very much styled to look like chalk on a chalkboard. Um, which I think is like a really nice, clean style, though it comes in a couple others, like there's a blue with white, and there's white and black. But I, I really like the uh, the black with the white kind of chalkboard style. Chalkboard effect. Yeah, I like the uh, the blue on the kind of grid, because it looks a little bit like a like a spec drawing a bit like a blueprint. Oh, yeah. Um, those are probably my two favorites. And so also, you can get them kind of in black ink on like a parchment color, which looks good, too. Yeah, which also looks really good. Um, there's also, so we're, we're, we're big into panel art this year. Um, yeah, <laughs> but this is a beautiful, um, again, kind of this like clean black and white. It's a three panel and they're big. So I hope you got a big sofa. Um, and it's the eclipse and an astronaut in space and the moon. And it's just these beautiful, big black and white images uh, canvas prints um, that you can put above your, you know, sofa or maybe on the ceiling above your bed if you like to dream of the stars. Um, and it's they're really gorgeous. They're these kind of cinema style um, images. Uh, the eclipse, in particular, I think is is really stunning to look at. I also found uh, this. A brain art print from Jay Sayuri. Um, and it has uh, a bunch of different, I think it's watercolor work um, yes. of different animal brains. And it is very pretty. It, I could definitely see this in someone's home, especially if you're interested in neuroscience or you have a particular interest in a brain, like brains or animal brains. It's, it's just really lovely to look at. It's really beautiful. And uh, I appreciate that. I think I'm trying to see the bottom corner here, but I think that's a shark represented on the bottom, right? Uh, I hope so. Um, so it's, it's a, a zebra fish on the broad a bottom. Zebra right. fish. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's good to know that it's not, you know, all mammals. Yeah. There's birds represent. on here. There's some fish. There's a hedgehog. Oh, <laughs> There's a human brain hitting, hiding in here as well. So it's, it's quite a variety of, of brains they've got on this, which is it just really lovely piece of art. Um, you also found a lovely set of coasters, um, which I have to say, like, I never really understood why people got coasters until I got my very first, like, nice coffee table as an adult, which I bought, like, new. And oh my goodness, I have coasters now. <laughs> You will not use a coaster on my coffee table at your peril. 
I like that these coasters are specifically for beverages that you might put on the coasters. That yes, I find there's a coaster for tea, and it has the molecular structure of tea. There's a coaster for water, and one for alcohol, and one for beer, um, and one for coffee, which has caffeine. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's really very pretty. I like that they're again this very clean design, um, kind of almost primary colors, but like a little muted. Yep. Um, so they're, they, I think they would go with a lot of, a lot of different kind of decor. A hundred percent. They they could slot into lots of people's decor. I have been seeing these moon lamps around, uh, and I also saw this levitating moon lamp. So this is one of these ones that I feel is kind of, if it's sort of your vibe, it would be fun to maybe put in like a kid's room as well, because you get the moon in there, which is really neat. But also it's one of those like floating magnetic uh, things, which also is kind of got a neat vibe to it and would be really fun in a kid's room to kind of talk them through the magnetism of how that works. Uh, So it's one of these ones that's a little bit kitsch, but I kind of like it because it's kind of kitsch in a fun way. Yeah, I actually just love it because it like, I'm sorry, but something something like floating like that looks like science, okay? It just it, yes. it looks like science. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so this uh this next one is gorgeous. I think it's a paperweight. Is it a paperweight? Uh, yeah, it's just a, a glass <laughs> sculpture and it's it's pricey, but uh, again, it's one of these striking visual things um, that if you have the right kind of aesthetic for this and you've got a spot in your home, um, this really might speak to you. It's beautiful. It is an anatomically correct blown glass heart that is done in all these beautiful swirling multicolors, it's absolutely stunning to look at. Um, and if you're for the cardiologist in your life, and also if you have a cardiologist in your life, you can probably afford this. Um, you should get <laughs> <laughs> this anatomically correct. It is so lovely. Oh yeah, man. They're- they're handmade in Mississauga, Ontario, in Canada. Each one is one of a kind because they're all handmade. So each one is different. Uh, and in the description, it says each one is different, just like real hearts. Oh, so true. Uh, next up, these are pleasingly mechanical things where you don't need pleasingly mechanical things, but that's part of why I love them. I've got, I found, just found two of them. Um, they're like switch plates that you would put on light switches, but that kind of go through this almost like small Rube Goldberg mechanism in order to turn the light switch. And I found two and both of them are very pleasing. So there's these little things that fit over your standard light switch plate uh, or replace a light switch plate. And instead of just flicking the switch, you have to like rotate a gear or like move a lever and it manually moves the switch for you. There's there's something very pleasing about that to me. That, that is deeply satisfying. <laughs> yeah, again, it's they're, they're just these things that make it slightly more complicated to turn a switch. Um, but that is again for the right person it would be very satisfying and it's got like a little a little um arrow that points to whether or not it's on or off yes I, you know i feel like this is the exact sort of light plate that you want uh for the entrance to your secret lab oh and i did literally just find another one which i will link to uh that is a frankenstein light frankenstein light plate so it's got like one of those big like massive like levers on it like you're giving frankenstein life Pull I will the add- lever, crunk. Oh, exactly <laughs> uh it is exactly that switch so i'm gonna add that to the list as well which again i just saw uh, sorry wow. i didn't mean to like throw an emperor's new groove reference in the frankenstein reference but. <laughs> 
I mean, that is what they're riffing on, so it's totally <laughs> acceptable. Um, and this final, uh, you know, for those who have trees that need ornaments, I love this one. It is, you know how you see those trios of like three girlfriends and it's usually <laughs> like they're drinking wine or something like that. Shopping. These girlfriends are doing science. Yep. <laughs> and I'm here for it. I really appreciate how you find all of these science, uh, like women doing science and they're wearing proper PPE. I really appreciate yes. your commitment. <laughs> I, I I try and find ones that look like they're proper. They've got their proper science gear on. These these girls definitely do. And they look like they're about to make some amazing, possibly holiday themed discoveries. Love it. So the next category I have kind of called science your life uh, in part because a lot of the stuff is kind of miscellaneous, but some of it is like kits or some of it is ways that you can like conduct science experiments in your own life or on your own life. So this is a sort of a miscellaneous category, our final category, because sometimes things defy categorizations that aren't broad. Yes. Um, but I really, a part of me is really interested in some of these and part of me is like terrified because you are collecting data on yourself and that data is probably going into an app or into a program. So, you know, be advised, think about your privacy. Yes. Um, but this first one is I love the concept because so many of these sleep tracking apps that you get for your phone, they basically just like assume you're kind of asleep because they're listening through the microphone and like your phone is by your bed or something, or they actually like make you put the phone on the mattress with you. Or you have some sort of like Fitbit wrist, not uh, wrist restful. thing. Not restful. Yeah. This has a pad that actually goes under your mattress. Yep. That can track your sleeping. Um, and that's actually kind of, I, I think it's really important because I, I've come to realize just how many people in this world get really crap sleep and yep. are suffering from things like sleep apnea and stuff like that and may not know it. And sometimes you might need a subtle thing to tell you to get that checked because there are treatments out there that can work for you. So I also found this wireless weather station where you can program in alarms on your smartphone. And I love the idea of having like a weather station in a backyard that you can just like look at like a real weather station. It gets all kinds of awesome stuff. You get humidity, you get wind speed and direction. Um, you get the amount of precipitation. Like it's really cool and it's not just a thermometer that you stick outside or it just this I find just great I love this I love it too and I also love it because there are a lot of really cool citizen science projects out there that mm -hmm. ask you to collect some of this data um, temperature humidity that sort of thing um, snowfall precipitation engines um, and this weather station could really simplify if you're one of those people doing that kind of citizen science can help you out yeah and just if you're a person like me that's kind of interested in weather stuff, it's just a really great little little like way you can add some science into your daily life. Um, so I am a huge uh, paleo nerd. I love me some dinosaurs. Uh, Brontosaurus is real. And actually, legit, Brontosaurus is real, by the way. Look that up. Anyway, <laughs> um, this is a cool National Geographic mega fossil dig kit and you can excavate real fossils in your little kit it's fun <laughs> and it looks so much fun 
I mean, it says it says enthusiasts of any age, and I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. It you think you think it's going to be for kids, and a bunch of people will buy this for their kids. But let's face it, a bunch of us would be really excited to dig up some dinosaur bones. Yes, and they've got like beautiful little ammonites and shark teeth and trilobites. These are kind of those little common fossils that are so common that in many places, if you dig them up, you get to keep them. Yes. Um, and so they put these in a kit for you and you can dig them yourself. I have to say I have had a lifelong desire to dig my own trilobite. That's actually like been a thing for me. So maybe since I can't necessarily get out to a site, maybe I can make the site come to me. Seems like a legit way to get your dream come true. Uh, I also found these Engino kits. Uh, so the one I'm sort of featuring is one um, where you can do, uh, you can make a buildings and bridges. Um, so there are these kits that allow you to explore engineering concepts. And this one allows you to do things like build a subsist, ah, build a suspension bridge, um, build a truss bridge. Um, and it includes a whole bunch of theory, uh, some information about the theory behind bridge building as well. Um, so it's, I think, kind of like a Lego-ish uh, little tool, um, a Lego-ish kit, but with the specifics around engineering. And NGO also has a whole bunch of other kits uh, that are really cool from a STEM standpoint. So there's one that's all on hydraulic science, which is neat. Um, there's uh, more mechanics ones that really get into the engineering of certain types of things. There's one on steam, so inertia and energy conversion. So all about like building with steam. Um, one about uh, Newton's laws, so that you're sort of looking and exploring Newton law, Newton's laws with these kits. Um, there's I like the one with really... the, the helicopter that is yes. a solar-powered helicopter. That's really cool. Yes. So there's just some really interesting kits here that let you uh, explore or certain types of engineering or physics um, with Lego-like building tools, and they look really neat. Um, I am, I mentioned earlier that I am taking medical anatomy, and I found out a bunch of things about medical anatomy that kind of blew my mind. Like, you don't really realize just how high up your liver is. Mm. It's so high up, you guys. <laughs> The diaphragm is the only thing keeping your heart from, like, getting up close and personal with your liver. Um, and this apron that you found actually kind of beautifully illustrates that. It's a plushy, fabulous apron that is an apron that has, like, plushy organs attached to it on the front. That you Velcro on. Mm -hmm. In perfect anatomical order. Yep. It's so cute. And it's, they're all the correct size. Um, so you start to realize just how small your lungs are and how much of you is intestine. And the yes. answer is a lot of you is intestine. A lot of you is intestine. Yeah. I also found this apprentice perfume kit. So if you're interested in perfume and fragrance, uh, fragrance, it's a kit that allows you to blend your own perfumes, which seems like for the right person could be a really cool gift to receive. I love it because I think, you know, people are very quick to dismiss like, oh, you know, girls chemistry makeup, that's so girly, or whatever. And it I mean, yes, but it's also definitely chemistry and it's mm -hmm. really important chemistry and you can learn a lot of things about um, chemical concepts by mixing volatile chemicals and looking at like scents. Um, you can learn a lot about the olfactory system. Um, I, I love this. I think it's a fantastic idea. 
and a, a fun way to explore a little bits of chemistry in a way that is it, it tends to be thought of as like dismissive dismissively dismissively oh gosh can't say that word as we're as as feminine as like overly feminine how could you possibly science that well you know what it's all science definitely <laughs> um and for those of you who are maybe interested in uh you know something less scented uh there's a fantastic glow in the dark mushroom growing kit <laughs> it makes me so happy yeah you provide a log and you can grow glow in the dark mushrooms which i don't think they're edible mushrooms but they would be really fun and a great like little experiment you could do in your home with your kids or just uh put in your back garden like it just seems like a really fun little kind of thing you can put together and do I just love its BYO log. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, from For the utilitarian person, maybe this isn't super science-y, but it's a clever idea that I'm sure some people already know about, but a, a magnetic wristband for holding screws and nails. So if you're doing DIY at home, putting together Ikea furniture, putting together any furniture, um, you know how like screws get thrown about you just sort of need a place to put them for a while and in particular as i know you do bethany if you have a cat that likes to play with little tiny screws and bat them around when you've got both hands occupied trying to hold that piece of furniture together now you have a place to put those screws you can just have this wrist cuff on your wrist and you got those loose screws throw them on there when you're trying to get them ready and within reach so that you can use them uh, to put something back together they're right there and ready for you away from your cat also important for, you know, if you want to find out, like, you've put together your piece of Ikea furniture, and you're like, yay, it's together, it's freestanding, wait, are there extra parts? Yes. <laughs> I feel like this would be very useful. You could take your magnetic wristband and kind of, like, swipe it around mm-hmm. and make sure you attract the things that you need to make sure are not lying around on the floor. Oh, or if you uh, had dropped or opened up a pack or left behind like if you're sewing and you've got those little sewing pins yes actually this would be great for just like doing a quick sweep to make sure that you've got all the sewing pins oh yes because get let me tell you you think stepping on a lego is bad Oof. Mm. those pins <laughs> Oof. um so this is awesome that there's this I, I i have to i have to confess something i'm really bad at lighters okay i can never get them to light <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm just bad at lighters. Um, but I really love this one. It is a Tesla coil lighter. It's USB rechargeable Tesla coil lighter. Yep. It's genius. Like it, it's for, for your nerd who also likes fire. Um, I mean, it's a fireless fire? lighter. It's really fun. <laughs> I also found as a stocking stuffer, and I'm sure they're not super well made, but they're really, really fun, uh, skeleton bone pens. They're billed as a Halloween candy alternative, which I could totally see why. But also, if you're looking for something to give like your lab mates at the lab, or you've got a bunch of science nerds, or your family or your kids are, are science nerdy or into into science, this could be a really great thing to throw in the mix. They're They're really cool. <laughs> Skeletons are not a Halloween only thing. They are an anytime gift. Any time of year gift. <laughs> um, and finally, it all comes back to tardigrades. Yes, uh, of course. <laughs> Always. You found a giant tardigrade plushie. 
He's so cute. He's so cute. He's so big. And there is a picture on the Amazon page of a girl doing exactly what I want to do to that enormous tardigrade plushie, which is give him a big hug. A big, fabulous snuggle. He's uh-huh. oh, he's so great. And also actually looks really like satisfying as like a throw pillow or something. I bet you could yes. nap on this tardigrade. And it would Definitely. be okay because the tardigrade can survive the vacuum of space and the deep ocean and also your nap. I'm pretty sure that my office needs this giant tardigrade plushie as a pillow on my chair. Everybody needs one. Yes. So that wraps up our science nerd gift list. List, As usual, there will be a blog post with links to all of these items uh, that you can find linked from our show notes. Uh, that list will live in our blog, but we'll make sure it's linked to from these this episode's show notes. Um, you can also go back into previous blog posts from previous years. Uh, if you dig through the blog archive, you'll see that Every episode where Bethany and I have talked about nerdy science gifts, you can still find all of those things that we talked about. And in most cases, a lot of those links still work. So do feel free to mine previous year's uh, science gift recommendations as well. As always, you can find links and these notes on our website at scienceforthepeople.ca. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Science for the People. Bye! Science for the People is listener-supported. You can find us on Patreon, where you can support us with monthly donations in any amount. Your support keeps us afloat and able to keep making great new episodes, and we thank you for it. The show is produced by Rochelle Saunders and edited by Ryan Bromsgrove. We get help with special projects from K.O. Myers. Our theme song was written and recorded by Fractal Pattern, and its title is Binary Consequence. The show is hosted by Bethany Brookshire, Anika Hazra, Marion Kilgour, and me, Rochelle Saunders. <laughs> <laughs>